there is a homelessness that comes with being a Christian because no one political party is perfectly aligned with the life of a Christian. Hi, Internet, and welcome to the 22nd episode of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning novelist, a best-selling humorist, and I'm definitely not three monkeys in a trench coat. For this episode of the show, I talked to someone whose voice you might recognize if you um, follow me elsewhere. Uh, My guest on this episode is KB Hoyle. Um, She is an author of Almost a dozen books, um, young adult and middle grade novels, uh, which I will talk a bit more about in the interview. And she and I actually collaborate elsewhere at a place called Project Co-Narrative, which I have mentioned in the outro a few times for this show. Um, But we have another podcast over there. So if you listen to this interview and find yourself going, man, I cannot wait to hear more of Luke talking to KB, uh, pop over to Project Co-Narrative. What I talked to KB about for this show was the reason she left the Republican Party. Um, The Trump years have not been kind to uh, anyone with sincere political conviction. Um, So in some ways, KB is kind of emblematic to what a lot of us are going through. And while I personally kind of went in the opposite direction, or at least a different direction. Um, I relate to a lot of what she has to say in this um, interview. Um, I'll let her go ahead and introduce herself. I will flip you over there and I will see you on the other side of the conversation. Welcome to the 22nd episode of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and this is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. There is a perception out there that nobody ever changes their minds. Um, It's not entirely true. People do change their minds. I want to know why, so this is my show. It's about, um, you know part research project, part therapy for me. And these days, it's mainly just an excuse to sit around and talk to my friends during quarantine, since for some reason, I can't get anyone who's not my BFF on this show anymore. I don't know what I did wrong. Um, (laughs) You'd you'd think quarantine would would make it easier to get people to be on your show. That has not been my experience. Um, Anyway, I am sitting here with my friend, my mentor, my collaborator, technically my business partner, technically. although <laughs> <laughs> the one, the only, KB Hoyle. Hi, thanks for having me. So KB is, if you don't know her, um, which you should, the author of numerous spec fic novels for middle grade and young adult audiences, including The Breeder Cycle and The Gateway Chronicles. 
She has a brand new book up on a website called Swoon Reads that you can read for free called A Silence in the Deep. It is a gender swapped retelling of Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid. I'm reading it with my daughter right now, and we're both kind of loving it, to be honest. Like that's really good. That's, I'm glad. Yeah, <laughs> that's not me. That's not me just laying it on thick. That's that's serious. I mean, you know me. You know I'm not great at pretending to like things I don't. You're really um, not. <laughs> <laughs> I know when you said you're going to read it, I was kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, I I try to be diplomatic, but I'm not good at it. But no, this book is I we're we're um. 14 chapters in and I am digging it pretty hard. And my daughter who can't get enough fairy tales loves it. She goes on and on about how much she loves Rose. That's the princess character. She's never met a princess. She doesn't, doesn't like, um, but (laughs) yeah, I know it's true. It's true. She's got like a complete set of the plush, like the princesses from the Mario game. She likes the Mario games, but she only likes the princesses in them. So so yeah, you should um, check out KB's work. She's pretty cool. I mean, she and I already have a podcast. Uh, yeah, we do. So if you if you listen to this and you enjoy the conversation, please go check out Project Co Narrative, which is an interesting little website where she and I are co writing a novel together live on the internet, and we're doing a podcast to go along with it, and it's been an experience. <laughs> it's been fun. We have yeah. fun. And people should listen to it because um, we are a dynamic duo. It's true. Yeah. Um, so that that show is just kind of us hanging out and shooting the breeze. This one is me interviewing you about something you have changed your mind about. So, yeah. What are we talking about, KB? Um, we're going to talk about how I kind of changed my mind about um, my entire upbringing <laughs> Um, which was being uh, uh, what is commonly known as a, a member of the religious right um, and became politically homeless. And um, that might not seem like it's that huge of a deal um, because, you know, it's, I didn't go from being in the religious right to um, being a member of the Democrat Party or anything like that. But for anybody who uh, is like me and grew up a child of the 90s during the culture wars, during um, going to church during that era, um, it was it was really deep um, how how much that culture just was a massive part of um, crafting our identity. So to come out of that and to realize certain things. And I'll kind of hold off and uh, let you ask me some questions. Um, sure. It was a massive deprogramming. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think this is um, a good fit for the show because part of what the show has kind of morphed into as it's gone along is um, just kind of mapping out the shifting cultural and political ground of the Trump years, which is um, something, you know, I'm pretty interested in. And as someone who was, I don't know, maybe religious right-ish in his teens and then did register with the Democratic Party in his 20s and is, you know, following the 2016 election, felt very politically homeless. In some sense, I'm kind of right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> Although my my own um, journey has maybe been a little more complicated. Why don't we... Um, 
Start with, I don't know, start with your childhood, I guess. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to just tell the whole story of my life because <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But I was born in the early 80s. Um, and you know, both my parents uh, are Christians. So, um, and, and evangelical. So, to give, and that's a huge umbrella these days. And obviously, you've got um, white evangelicals and black evangelicals and, um, you know, lots of different cultures in between as well. And so, it's not, I'm just using the term broadly, um, to kind of indicate that basically we actually jumped around like I'm Protestant, right. And, um, we actually jumped around, uh, to a couple different churches cause we moved a lot. Um, but so the kind of trademarks of my youth, um, reformed teaching, um, Grew up going to a reformed church. Um, and then we went, we moved from, I was actually born in Madison and we moved from Madison when I was seven to the Twin Cities and joined a non-denominational church. Um, but that still held, it kind of held the teachings that would be um, loosely understood to be Baptist-ish, although People that are non-denominational, at least in the late 80s, moving into the early 90s, if you'd told us that we were Baptists, we would have just reared back in horror. Like <laughs> the idea of being Baptist was kind of like like skirt measurers, you know, um, and that wasn't us. However, I knew people who were so, so, so like I had friends whose parents wouldn't let them watch any television um, at all because it was like of the devil. Um, now, and that wasn't my upbringing. Um, we lived in the twin cities from, I mean, basically until I was about to enter sixth grade. Um, so I was like, I was mm. like age seven to age 11. And so to give some idea, like I know some people and it's, it's really in vogue right now to really, really, really bash like, um, the conservative, movement of like conservative church movements of, you know, the nineties. And that's not what I want to do. I'm not going to claim that my upbringing in the church scarred me for life, that the, the purity movement scarred me for life, that my youth groups scarred me for life or anything like that. That's too bad. I really wanted to hear that story. <laughs> that, that's really not the case for me. Um, we mm -hmm. went to, um, churches that gave me overall, you know, what I, let me just put this way. that discipled me. I'm not going to say they were perfect churches. I don't, I don't know that that exists. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I remember some, some scandals, um, that, that rocked some of our churches, um, some pastors that got fired and things like that. But a lot of that got went over my head as a child. Um, but nothing terrible happened to me. And my parents were of the sort that we always had Christian radio playing. Like we weren't allowed to listen to secular radio. Um, it was always moody, uh, moody radio and like focus on the family. Um, and we, we didn't have cable television, so I didn't have any of like the cable shows. Um, but we were allowed to watch TV and I could read anything I wanted to. Um, so like a lot of my early influences, um, to like the secular world had to do with like bringing books home from the library. Um, they never checked what I was reading. 
Um, <laughs> and thankfully, we never listened to conservative talk radio. And I know that that is something that a lot of people talk about being a part of their Christian upbringing in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But I did go to all of the like youth group conferences, all the purity conferences, all the True Love Weights conferences, all of the culture war narrative, everything like that was definitely part of my upbringing. And a part of that, and we moved to Chicago when I was 11 and joined an, an evangelical free church, which again, mm-hmm. if anybody's unfamiliar with the, the general teachings, it would be very similar to uh, Southern Baptist. Um, the, but I had, I had, I had good Bible teaching. Um, I have no complaints about, you know, generally speaking, my, my church experiences. In fact, the church we went to when I was in high school in the Chicago area is a church that, um, many well-known seminarians also went to, um, I was going to church with, with like the Carson family, D.A. Carson. I went to youth group with his kids. Um, the Grudems, Wayne Grudem, um, uh, the, uh, lots of people who are now working and teaching at Lifeway, you know, every time the famous theologian, um, comes across, you know, like has written a new book. I'm like, Oh, I went to church with him in Chicago. It's like <laughs> all these names that, um, Ortland, like the pastor, he was a pastor in Nashville for a while. Like we went to church with the Orlands. Um, these were people, this was like, I had good Bible teaching. So I'm not going to claim that I had just, you know, a terrible Bible experience. Like I'm one of those that came out of the nineties pretty unscathed, you know, in, in the Bible <laughs> area. But like many people who grew up through the nineties in a Christian home, I was always taught that if you were a Christian politically, you're what? A Republican. A Republican. And that's the only option for you. And that was just, it, it was just hard baked into our DNA. And it was like, it was like, it was taught that, you know, liberals, and I don't think this was like, I, I'm always thinking back, thinking, where did I like, learn this. I don't think it was taught from the pulpit. I don't think it was like, you know, explicitly like, I don't even know. Like it's just, it was just such a part of, of like Christian life. Like, like you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. You can't, you know, um, because of, of, of life issues, because of pro-life issues, because of, um, marriage issues, because, you know, and then those are the two big ones, but like, all throughout my, my upbringing, my entire life, it was just, and I distinctly remember the Clinton scandal. And obviously that's a big deal and applicable to the Trump years. When the Clinton scandal happened, that was huge. That was, you know, we have to have, you know, upstanding moral leaders in the White House and moral politicians, you know, um, and he has to go because he had an affair. And now I must have been, I mean, I was in junior high when that happened. So I didn't really understand <laughs> yeah. all the details, but I was raised 
actually think the fact that I had such a good church full of such good Bible teaching and I was like, I mean, we had Sundays where D.A. Carson himself would get up in the pulpit and guest preach, you know, when you're surrounded by such good teaching, then, you know, fast forward to my adult life, when you see these men, and I, I, I'm not meaning to insinuate anything about Dr. Carson. I don't know where he stands on anything, <laughs> but like <laughs> to see such men though, um, and people who discipled you, um, uh, like Grudem was a big one though. You know, we do know what he, the, t- the stance he ended up taking on, um, uh, Trump to, to see them to about face, um, yeah. was, was really difficult because these were the actual, these weren't like abstract figures for me. These were people that I knew as a child, you know, they wouldn't remember me, but I remembered them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, that's, a, you know, I talked too long about that, but you know, that was, that was my, my upbringing and my political opinions just kind of as, as a Republican just solidified into college. Cause when I went to college, that's when I really got into watching Fox news. Um, and, um, you know, my parents always watched Fox news too. It, it just, but not until we that got used, cable, not until we got cable. And that was in high school. It was in case it see that all came late. We got cable, um, like my senior year of high school. And then all that started. And, um, I started watching Fox News when I got to college. All right. Well, why don't we talk uh, about your college years then? Yeah. College ended up being kind of an extension of my latter years in high school as far as feeling a little oppressed. So part of what you're taught as a 90s kid in high school, and I'm sure you remember this, Luke, um, as a Christian, is that you're going to face persecution and oppression. That was a big part of the narrative, um, like the apologetics narrative. Because you're a Christian, you're going to face persecution and oppression um, mm-hmm. for what you believe. Now, part of what made that such a powerful um, narrative is because there were all these books that came out that talked about the martyrs of old. Um, you know, Jesus Freaks was a, was a big one. And like there was almost this thrill of like I could carry on this um, uh, like what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, like this could be me. I could be like a martyr of the faith. Okay. Um, like we're stepping into these shoes, um, to, to, you know, preach Jesus and be persecuted for it. It's almost like a white martyrdom. Um, and also what made it really powerful is the fact that in many of my classes, I I was a very outspoken Christian in my public high school. And I had a lot of um, teachers who really did not like that, (laughs) um, actively tell me to be quiet. Um, and I had very little discernment and not enough wisdom as a, uh, an outspoken and passionate Christian child to know that maybe, um, I wasn't always very, maybe, maybe it wasn't what I was saying so much as how I was saying it. Um, that made them want me to be quiet. Um, so I carried some of my zeal into college where I had always been told, um, through the apologetics messaging, uh, that college was going to be a very hostile environment for me as a Christian. 
Mm-hmm. And so I needed mm-hmm. to, you know, gird my loins, be ready for that. And in- gird your loins is such a hilarious expression. <laughs> it is. Where where did you um where did you go to college? I, feel like I went should... to college at Winona State University in Winona, Minnesota. Okay. Um, which is a public university. It's not large. It's but it's also not tiny. Uh, it was when mm-hmm. I went there. It was about seven thousand students. Um, and it's, it's near La Crosse, Wisconsin is across the river. And, um, uh, it was liberal arts focused. Um, and I went, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I ended up majoring in history and, um, many, the thing is like a lot of what I was told would be the case about being, um, kind of persecuted for my beliefs in college actually ended up bearing out to be true like i had a history Hmm. professor who the first oh he taught history of christianity and the first day in class of history of christianity is he would he asked all of the christians in class to stand up he said stand up if you're a christian (laughs) and so you you know i stood up and there were a few others Mm -hmm. and he said you're all stupid sit down And this is are, you sure, are you sure that's not a scene from a God's Not Dead movie? I that, am that positive. Sounds... <laughs> I agree. Now, on the other hand, here's the other thing. That's not persecution. Sure. Well, we were told. We were told, <laughs> you know, in yeah. you know, youth group and whatnot, that that was persecution. Being mm. told you're stupid in a college class is not persecution elaborate on that it's humiliating i mean mean, because because from where i'm standing i would say that's very mild persecution but saying it's not persecution seems like kind of a stretch like well (laughs) now if 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 people if you're standing in the public square and people are throwing tomatoes at you and yelling at you that you're stupid um now it's not i mean i call that thursday so It's, it's not a kind thing to do. It's not something that any college professor should do to any students in their class or anything like that. Um, but he, the reason he did it is to, and he did this, he was well known for doing this. Like Christians knew going to the class that that's what he was going to do on the first day. And after he asked all the Christians to stand up, he would say all the atheists in class stand up and the atheists would stand up. And then he'd say, you're the only ones who are dumber than the Christians. Sit down. <laughs> okay all right this was a well-known way opening for his class as a way to prompt he likes to get a rise out of people um mm-hmm. as a way to prompt discussion okay okay mm-hmm. um and if you stopped if you stayed after class and talked to him about it he was very open to talking with you mm-hmm. um and I used to stay and argue with him and talk to him. And like, he turned out now, I, I, it just, oh, it just got under my skin. But he told me more than once that I was his favorite student. Yeah. He was just okay. that sort of personality. Um, sure. And again, I'm not saying like, yes, college professors do this. But like, it's, it's not actually a threat against your person or your mm. livelihood. Sure. Um, he wasn't actually seeking to harm. I guess that's why I'm saying, now I don't think that would fly in today's environment. Um, but he got away with it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously like, <laughs> I mean, insulting someone cause you think their beliefs are dumb. Like, obviously that's 
like not actively harming them. Like, uh, right. yeah, I mean, I, I just say, saying that's not persecution, though, to me, it's like, uh, I'd say it's probably there's a case to be made that it's mild persecution. But um, yeah, I get what you're I get what you're saying. Um, it sounds like a really interesting class, like it's, it's kind of yes. wishing at the moment, I'm kind of wishing that I could have taken that class because he sounds like a cool guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And he was in, in retrospect. And, okay. I, I could go up on some rabbit trails. I'm going to avoid that. But I guess what I'm saying is my point is that what, what I was taught and that's, that's just one snapshot. Like most of the yeah, faculty yeah. was very anti Christianity and very mm. vocally. So, and so you didn't feel because that's, you know, if I can kind of walk back my, what I said, I guess, like, unless you were willing to engage with the professors one-on-one um, mm-hmm. and make friends with them, you just really didn't feel safe as a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. in the, the history department or in the liberal arts mm-hmm. department at all. Now, I made the effort to go out of my way and become friends with all of my professors um, so that I would feel safe there. But it was also like, you know, when they're making these, you know, finding out that they're making these guys not dead, you know, classroom movies and whatnot, people are like, oh, college, colleges aren't really like that. I'm like, "Um, mine was (laughs) like, are you kidding me? Well, that's, I mean, that's the interesting thing is there are what, tens of thousands of colleges and universities in the US, you know, so you can find a college or a university that's like almost anything, you know? Yes. so, yeah, I mean, saying college isn't really like X, Y, or Z is like maybe the average college isn't like that. But, I, you know, it's <laughs> saying yeah. that no college is like that is probably not true. It's not true. Um, um, so that was what I was facing, you know, in the classroom. And again, I'm not claiming that it was just horrible. I really enjoyed my classes. But um, the that kind of it pushed me further right it, you know, college is when you really start to form what you really believe as an adult person. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're outside mm-hmm. of your parents' influence. Um, you know, as a high schooler, as a junior high and high schooler, you believe what your parents believe more or less usually because mm-hmm. they believe it and they control the flow of information in your house. As a college student, you can finally control your own flow of information And, um, I just went further, right? Like that's when I was able to start watching Fox news and I worked a night job, um, I worked night security. And so in between shifts, we would just sit in the lounge and watch Fox news. And most of my coworkers were very conservative, even though the majority of the college was liberal, we Mm -hmm. were kind of this bastion of conservatism because most of these security guards were going on to be law enforcement. That was their major, and that tends to be very conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like Fox News all night long. And then we would ride around in the car, and that's when I started to get introduced to conservative talk radio. And so, and then, and then we were getting into the, the um, election. So well, that was the 2001. Well, 9 11 happened. Gore. 9 11 happened. Yeah. Was that- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had 9-11, which my freshman year, which was obviously something that made people very, um, it, it, this wave of, you know, 
patriotic fervor swept the country. <laughs> and seems then, so quaint how. <laughs> I know. Um, and then, yeah, there was, um, uh, everything was just, I got very, like college made me um, much more conservative because um, in a very liberal campus and a very liberal department, it made you feel like you were some sort of martyr um, mm-hmm. and special and like a holdout, you know, like um, a revolutionary mm-hmm. to be conservative and not just like, actually for the first time I really started to think about myself as a Republican, you mm-hmm. know, and not just. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how often we define our beliefs in opposition to other yes. people. You know, it's, it seems like it's so rarely about, you know, I've decided independently what this is true. And so often about like, I don't like these people or <laughs> I think they're yeah. wrong or I don't want to be associated with them. So I'm going the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and I met, married my husband in college and he was very conservative and, and that was, that was basically that. I mean, and we were just, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're allowed to be a conservative Christian if you don't get married in college. Right. Like that's, that's the rule. Um, Um, okay. So yeah, you, you guys get married, you finish school. What happens then? Well, fast forward to, we ended up moving to Alabama and I'll skip the whole story of how we got down here. Cause that's a long story. It doesn't really apply. Um, <laughs> but let me tell you, conservatism in the South is a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're a conservative in Minnesota and then you move to Alabama, like you go down there and everybody's probably like, she's a liberal commie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we were those Yankees. Yeah, yeah. And I was a strange northern woman. My strange ways. Um, but yeah, no. Um, for the first time, uh, we really felt, and this just, oh, this just makes my, ugh, I feel weird. Saying <laughs> this. For the first time, we felt like we really belonged somewhere. And I don't mean that as a slight on the South. But like, I mean, like, politically and and this feels so weird to say because we we don't feel that way at all anymore but like Hmm. politically and like religiously like we we were like we have found our people you know like so interesting it was just like you know i mean we we were going through a lot of other we had a lot of struggles because we just financially and having a new baby and everything when we got down here but like as far as like the, um, yeah, the political and the religious aspect, we, we kind of breathed a sigh of relief. Like we felt like this stress and strain of always being the ones who were on the outside. Like finally we were surrounded by people who thought and believed like we did. And we could just kind of breathe a sigh of relief in that regard, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, we used to, ugh, I want to say this publicly, but we used to say that the South was the last sane place on earth. Wow. I know. Isn't that horrible? That is. Wow. 
And when we got down here, <laughs> well, I, I, and I, I think it's important to say that because that will indicate the, the degree to which, and it's not just me, it's my husband too. We have changed mm-hmm. our minds. Um, like, um, we, I remember being down here and we were going to a large Southern Baptist church and they, the 4th of July rolled around mm-hmm. and guess what? Many Southern churches do on the 4th of July or around the 4th of July. Do you know? I have never seen it with my own eyes being a Northern Lutheran, but um, I hear that there's a big patriotic service or whatever. Yes. <laughs> Which is. is so weird and foreign to me, but yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's it's like Patriotic Sunday. Um, <laughs> now, different churches do it to different degrees. And like what the music will be and whatnot is, is it depends. It's not all like... Um, what the worst example is Robert Jeffress's church out in Texas, I guess. Oh my gosh. Like ours wasn't like that, but like Good. it was, <laughs> it was close. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there was singing of God bless America and stuff like that and waving of American flags. And, um, did they rig some fireworks to the cross and make it spin around no, really there fast? Was not anything like that. Because that uh, I like, want to see. There was a patriotic themed um, sermon. One of the Sundays, I mean, we experienced several of these. One of the Sundays, um, like they would often try to bring in like a really impressive guest speaker. Um, mm-hmm. um, oh gosh, what's this? Dinesh D'Souza, D'Souza was a guest speaker. Oh my one gosh, year. that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, it they brought in a famous like Christian comedian one year. I'm trying to remember his name. But like, yeah, it's it's just a extravaganza. Mm-hmm. Um now that we're no longer going to that church, um, which is a change we made when we changed our minds. But <laughs> um the like when we first got down here, oh, and Southern churches do big they do like tailgate Sunday when football mm-hmm. season starts, <laughs> um, which is often very patriotic themed as well. But like, I gotta say, I gotta <laughs> say, Southern patriotism is so weird to me. It's like, yeah, we love this country that conquered us 150 years ago. <laughs> I, I, just, I don't get it. <laughs> um, it is a thing. And when, we, <laughs> when we first got down here, we loved it. Like it was just. Yeah. It was just like, this is amazing. Like the one thing my husband and I were always uncomfortable with, I will say this, is the guns thing. Like we're not gun mm-hmm. people. We've never been gun people. My husband grew up on a farm. And mm-hmm. even growing up on a farm, like he's never been, like th- I think it's just the fact that his his dad was not a hunter, so he didn't teach his, his hmm. sons to hunt. But like. Mm-hmm. His entire extended family are gun people, and my husband grew up being not a gun person. Like that's interesting. We are not yeah. gun people, and so the whole like, yeah, shoot our guns, just was never. That's always been weird to us since we got down here. Because yeah. I'm telling you, you come to the south, you look around, eighty five percent of the houses around you have guns in them. I guarantee mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Maybe more, 
But, um, and that is tied to Christianity down here. It's this defense of property, um, mm. this liberty that, which is a, it's, it's a misconstruing of what liberty means. It's this idea that God wants me to defend my life, my liberty, my family. Um, that's what the Bible says, you know, <laughs> and yeah. God wants me to love my country. And, mm-hmm. um, that means celebrating our country on, you know, on or around the 4th of July in a big extravaganza at our church. Um, <laughs> and it's so myopic. It's so it, like, it's just America centric. It, it, it is a thing. And it, <laughs> it is not something that made us uncomfortable for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when it started to make us uncomfortable, um, it was like it was like a piece of fruit going bad, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Um, little bits by little bit, and where it, it just kind of starts to rot. So why don't we talk about this? When did things start to turn for you? Okay, there are a couple of factors, but there is kind of a whole story here. Um, sure. And it revolves a lot around my friend Beth, um, hmm. who died of, uh, of glioblastoma, brain tumor, um, in 2017. And that factors in as well. So um, Beth got involved with Christ and pop culture, which, of course, you and I are both not only members of oh, I've that website, <laughs> we are, we are es- es- estimable you mean the website that you and I are single-handedly keeping afloat with content right now. <laughs> Can you say that? That sounds so. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's where we are the two columnists at we Christ and pop columnists. culture, which, which means that if you look at the feed, like half of the articles are by either you or me. So, yeah. Um, but if it's there any lot, there are other, of the other writers, great writers who do lots yeah, of fantastic it's, it's work. True. It's true. And if it, if it makes the other writers feel better, I don't feel like the work I've been putting out lately is very good. So, Oh, me either. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait about your work or about mine? <laughs> yours. Definitely yours. No, uh, right. my work, my work. <clears throat> um, no, the, um, yeah, so Christ and Pop Culture has been around for a while. It's a fantastic um, website, um, and uh, if you if you join Christ and Pop Culture, you get to be a part of a members group, and that's actually probably um, I mean the biggest. Per- it's been the, the biggest perk for me. I mean, aside from getting to write for <laughs> Christ and mm-hmm. Pop Culture, but like um, it's it's a fantastic perk. So just as a little plug. Um, check out Christ and Pop Culture. And if you support them for $5 a month, you get to be a part of a members group, which is totally private otherwise. Um, but my friend Beth, who I was teaching with, um, I used to teach for uh, a classical Christian school mm-hmm. here in Alabama. And the my friend Beth was a literature teacher there. Um, and, uh, I think she was also teaching rhetoric at the time and I was really good friends with her. She was one of my first friends in Alabama, uh, that I made as soon as we moved here. And, um, she became a member of Christ pop culture. And then she was like, you have got to join this group. This group is fantastic. And I was really reluctant to. And so she, 
I just, you know, I was like, oh, this is just going to be an obligation. She's like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> These people, they're concise thinkers. It's a group where people actually talk about um, controversial topics um, in a respectful manner. The moderators keep everything on the up and up. It doesn't devolve into arguing. And I was like, wait, a group on the internet where people don't like <laughs> argue disrespectfully with each other, this can't be true. And she's like, it is. <laughs> No, I mean, like, in fairness, I do my best to poison that group as much best. as I can. So, <laughs> but it is, it's it's kind of a unicorn of a group on the internet. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and you'll you'll laugh at this. I said, Beth, are there liberals in the group? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, "Well," she said, "Listen, there's 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 people from all different walks of life." And I was like, I just don't know that I can be in a group that has Christians who, you know, or liberals who claim to be Christians, because I just don't believe that that that's possible. <laughs> and I don't know that I'd be able to handle it. it just makes me too mad. <laughs> like I was and that's that's where I was at uh -huh. before mm -hmm. I joined Christ in pop culture. Mm -hmm. And um. She was like, listen, I'm going to buy you a year membership. And that's how she got me because my love <laughs> is gifts. And that means that if you buy me something, I feel obligated to use it whether or not I like the gift. Because okay. <laughs> I will feel bad for the rest of my life if I don't use that gift. So she bought me a year membership and just like strong armed me into the group. <laughs> So I lurked for a while and just kind of dipped my toe in. And what I discovered was um, a lot of people who were exactly as she described them, um, very thoughtful, um, respectful, and remarkably from all over the political spectrum, um, and who seemed to actually have genuine faith. Mm -hmm. um, now, I already had um, several friends who were of different denominations because the, te the school that I was teaching at, um, you know, we had everything from Anglicans to Methodists to Lutherans to Baptists to Presbyterians. You know, it's like I, I was totally used to dialoguing with people um, with whom I disagreed on, you know, articles of theology. But mm -hmm. um so it's not that I'm, I don't want people to think I'm just that close-minded of a person, but I have been raised my entire life to believe that the democratic platform was completely antithetical to Christianity. Hmm. You could not reconcile the two. And not only that, but I had allowed myself to be steeped in this, you know, Fox News rhetoric since college. Mm -hmm. And that is, it's, it's, it's it's brainwashing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to claim that my childhood, you know, church rearing or what my parents taught me was brainwashing. That's not the case. But the the political, you know, talking heads on Fox News that is absolutely brainwashing because mm -hmm. they don't really say anything new. They just say the same things over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it was through being introduced to these people in Christ and pop culture and 
kind of identifying who were the right people to be listening to as well, because it's not like every single person was wise and had great things to say. I mean, it's, it's mostly just me. Let's mostly be honest. You. Yeah. <laughs> um, that I was, I was able to kind of start the process of deconstructing. I know that's a, mm. that's a buzzword and that's sensitive for people right now, but I did mm. not start deconstructing my faith. I started to kind of pull apart the threads of, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian and, um, and a, a Republican? And am I really a Republican? And is the Republican Party a party that I want to be associated with? And, or why exactly am I a Republican? And I started to get interest in issues of social justice in particular. I would say that's the first one that really interested me. And I was pretty um, resistant at first to the idea that um, that racism still existed and that um, the narrative was different than what had always been told. Um, and this idea that maybe I could have racism hiding in my own heart because I had never, ever, ever viewed myself as being a racist person. Hmm. But being introduced to concepts like institutional racism, um, looking around. I mean, I live in Birmingham, Alabama, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and looking around and finally, and it took months and months and months. Um, but the, the year was 2016 Mm -hmm. and finally kind of seeing, um, there were a lot of incidents, a lot of racial incidents happening early that year. And finally kind of seeing how things were going down and um, looking around and seeing my city for the first time. Mm. Um, And obviously this is still, it's always going to be an ongoing process, I think. But um, Birmingham has a lot of redlining. Mm. You know, looking around and seeing things like, you know, my church, our church sat in a completely, um, was, was, it was a large church and it was like, 100% 100% white people. Like I can think of like one black person at the church. Hmm. And, um, but yet I did an author visit at a nearby school. Cause I'd always explain that away by saying, well, it's just a white area. Like why would you expect hmm. black people to come to this church when it's just a white area? But then hmm. I did an author visit to a school that was just down the street. And guess what? The school was about 80% black students. And I went, it was like this light bulb went on, went off. And I was like, this is not a white area. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, it was like putting together the dots that there are narratives being told that don't coexist with reality. Um, mm-hmm. And the lies that, that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And so not to belabor that, but, and that was one of the first issues I really just started to, to, to be interested in and to see. So Beth started to get passionate about really um, political things and patriotic things. And it started to get me thinking about why we as Christians do things um, that are patriotic things. Um, so I started to look into things like, why do we say the Pledge of Allegiance? Um, you know, before, like, like before, like school every day Mm -hmm. and why do, and I'm not saying that 
like this is you know terrible and horrible and you, you shouldn't do that as a christian that's not what i'm saying i think everybody should should do whatever you know you feel whatever your conscience allows let me put it that way mm. um but like it's it's like why do we why do we sing the star spangled banner before sporting events like every single sporting yeah. event right um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and why are christians so passionate about that you know about the flag um like it's like my like my my boys are are in this you know um organization that's like a kind of a camping thing and like they have to you know carry the flags down before every meeting and salute the flags and you know (laughs) say the pledge of allegiance and stuff and it just makes me kind of feel weird (laughs) it makes me feel weird and i can you elaborate on that like (laughs) like like in what way does it make you feel weird because other countries don't do that I guess that's why mm-hmm. I started to feel weird about it is sure. like where you see this kind of fanaticism for the flag and for um, like consistently saluting the flag, salute the flag, salute the flag, um, mm-hmm. pledge to the flag, sing about the flag, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. this reverence for the flag. Like to me, I think we see that more often in like totalitarian countries rather than yeah. countries yeah. that are free. And I think every person should have the freedom to not do that and to not be maligned for not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as Christians, it's a really bizarre thing that so many Christians are passionate about the flag. Like this, this is, um, it feels like a misplaced fervor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know people are like, well, it's not really the flag. It's what the flag stands for. Okay. So tell me what the flag stands for then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and why we have to continuously, I'm going to make some people mad, aren't I? Why, <laughs> um, why we have to continuously, um, salute it and, and, and why, for example, we're so passionate about the flag that we care more about the flag than about the lives of black men and women in this country. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I started to think about these, these sorts of things, these first things, um, that, kind of started to really change my mind about some of these topics to the progression of Beth's illness, which is, I know that's weird, but like they're just inextricably tied. It's like, cause she, before Beth was sick, she was not like, I know a lot of the Christ and pop culture people who knew Beth, they knew her as this fiery, passionate, like, um, person who was really into all the causes, but before Beth was sick, she wasn't like that. Hmm. She was really, she was one of the most measured, thoughtful, not that she wasn't thoughtful when she was really fiery and passionate, but she was slow to speak. Hmm. And that's something that, that kind of didn't kind of, it really shifted Hmm. when she got sick and she started to help me like, that sounds kind of bad, but like she, she, she started to help me change my mind as she got passionate about these issues. And as I was walking alongside her through her illness, um, like I stayed, I don't know if it was just like a coping mechanism as you're like walking with a friend who's dying of cancer. But Mm. like, I continued to like, just kind of 
dig into this stuff. And that was the fall of 2016. Um, and we all know who was the Republican candidate for president. And it was just a really upsetting time. One of my best friends was dying of cancer. She was about as vehemently anti-Trump as you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying I was anti-Trump because she was anti-Trump. Like, obviously, I have an independent thought. But, like, sure. as, you know, she was really good about sending articles. <laughs> like, because she was really, that was, you know, one of her, one of her things. And um, the, the rise of Trump. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? Yeah. Should yeah. we talk for a whole other hour about that? Yeah, I can't talk a whole other hour because I've promised my child things to do this evening. But um, I, I and, and people know um, his character and whatnot. But when Trump started to come to power, when it was when it became clear that President Trump, that Donald Trump was going to become um, the Republican nominee. Um. It was more than dismaying for um, people like me uh, because we, it was like we watched, we sat and we watched one by one people who swore that they would never vote for a man like that, mm-hmm. fellow conservatives, just capitulate, mm. you know turn, you know, do, do complete, you know, turnarounds. Um, one day say they would never. And then the next day they were out, you know, supporting him. My friend and I, um, said it it was like invasion of the body snatchers. Um, because all the reasons that we would never support, um, Donald Trump for the presidency, were all the reasons why people had always told us that Democrats were evil Hmm. from a Christian perspective, you know, the the lack Mm -hmm. of moral character and, you know, all the things that he had, had done. And it wasn't speculation. It's like, we had him on record saying these things. We we have 40 years of documentation about who this guy is. Like we know who he is and all the reasons why, you know, we were told that character counts um, aside from just his general ineptitude as a human being, um, like, and, and, and lack of any experience to be president. I mean, the, the reasons why this man could not be president were just stacked a mile high. And then you sure. take the character into consideration. Mm-hmm. Not that that's the, the last thing you should consider. It's really the first thing you should consider. But like, mm-hmm. y- you look at the character issue, which I had been taught my entire life was the most important thing, not just for like, oh, president of the United States, but for everything. Like, mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. you're going to marry, people you should be working with, you know, people mm-hmm. you should do business yeah. with. Like, don't go to a car mechanic who doesn't have good moral character. It's like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all these people who taught me one way, it's like they were looking me in the eye and saying, never mind, just kidding. Um, we have to elect him because there's no way that we can ever, you know, have a Democrat in the office. Um, mm-hmm. And just the moral hoops that it took, it was, it was like deeply betraying. And, and so not just, and I know I mentioned earlier the fact that, you know, I grew up going to church with a lot of these uh, theologians um, 
who ended up, um, and, and not all of them, some of them did not ever support this man, but I felt personally betrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these were men that even if I didn't like know them personally, it's like, I grew up listening to them on the radio every day on conservative, not conservative talk radio, but, but Christian radio and focus mm-hmm. on the family. It's like, these are the people who discipled me as a Christian from whom, you know, I took my teaching, my biblical teaching from, and suddenly they were telling me that everything that I'd ever, they'd ever taught me was, was a lie just Mm. so they could grasp at power. Mm -hmm. And I, I just came to realize that there was an unholy union in this country between, um, Christianity and the Republican party. Hmm. And that, it was so hard. Mm-hmm. And obviously it was the hardest. My, my, my family went over to, to voting for Trump. Um, I had conversations. I remember sitting with my sister, trying to d- dis- discuss, you know, going to restaurants, staying out with my sister and trying to, to explain to each other, her, why she's supporting Trump, me, why I'm not why there's why why we just can't it's like we're speaking different languages hmm. we're just like speaking across each other mm-hmm. and it was i just came to realize that a christian who is i i just believe that a christian cannot like i started to feel like I, I i don't know where i belong in this country but i know i don't belong there hmm. um so, and I, I, I like there's there's no moral ground for me to be a, a Republican, like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came to that conclusion by the end of of 2016, and it was really hard disillusionment. It was like a death. It was like a death. I I, I felt cut off from my entire family. I still I still do. Um. Mm. I mean, thankfully, my husband and I both, like, we agreed. We both went through the same, you know, kind of deprogramming. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt cut off from my family, from my coworkers at the school I was teaching at. Um, and that was hard, too, because, you know, you I'm teaching at a school where I highly regarded everybody. All my coworkers, I love them and regard them as intelligent, thinking Christian people. Um, and they weren't all, they didn't, you know, they didn't all become Trump supporters, but like by and large, um, many of them. And that was really, you just kind of start to feel very alone. And then when Trump did come to power, well, and, and here's the funny thing, if I can have a little bit of levity. Um, sure. Beth passed. Oh, this this won't sound funny. Okay, Beth passed away um, in early January, and her um, of twenty seventeen, and her funeral mm. was on um, inauguration day. Mm. And so, no, everybody ended up being at Beth's funeral instead of watching um, Trump get put into office. Mm-hmm. And so um, people were 
Uh, and everybody knew how vehemently she despised that man. <laughs> and so everyone was kind of, as much as you can joke at a funeral, mm-hmm. was just kind of joking that she made sure none of us got to see his inauguration. <laughs> um, not that I wanted to see it anyway. Yeah. Um, but I had a friend who was also very good friends with Beth. And she had, I mean, to the point where she was the one who came to my house to tell me that Beth had passed away on the morning she passed away. Hmm. Um, hmm. And she posted, but she had also told me, she was very, very conservative. And she had also told me, though, that she had had to stop following Beth on social media because Beth had just gotten too out there. Hmm. And what she meant was Beth had been posting too many posts about social justice. And, you know, that discouraged me. But at the time when she said that, I didn't challenge her on it because, you know, Beth was sick. After Beth died, this same friend um, posted something about how um, Democrats have no morals, are incapable of having morals, and of like doing or thinking anything good at all. Hmm. And I still remember that because that was just kind of it like it just hit me like a lead weight and i thought how can christians think this and then i thought did i really think this and i think i did once upon a time um mm. and it was it just kind of shook me like i realized how far um i how how dark it is to be a christian and to be so deeply embroiled in, like, the, it's almost like a cult. Mm. This patriotic cult that mm. says you have to line up and salute and think this way and do these things. And if you don't belong to our side, then you there's no good in you mm. at all. And I remember thinking, but I know lots of Christians who are Democrats, who I highly regard. And I think, I know it's often said, but like a lot of people are going to be very surprised at who is in heaven. (laughs) You know, that's not original to me by any stretch, but I had to unfollow her on social media for a while. And I just kind of, dropped that friendship I didn't I didn't like we just they just haven't talked in a long time she hasn't made any Hmm. efforts toward me either because um you know I'm probably too liberal for her now which I guess (laughs) means I have no morals Hmm. and so that is the um oh and I didn't even go into the whole Roy Moore Roy Moore happened in oh Alabama yeah, and that was that just was... Oh, my husband and I left our church and 
Mm-hmm. Um, we were teaching Sunday school hmm. and, um, it's hard. It's hard to, I mean, all of this is hard, but you know, when you're, it was hard enough to be where we were in this deconstruction phase at a Southern Baptist church, a large Southern Baptist church, mm-hmm. watching everybody around us just, you know, wave the flag for Trump, mm-hmm. you know, while the Access Hollywood tapes were coming out, while, you know, everything, we knew, we knew everything about him and it didn't matter at all to anybody. And then Roy Moore happened and people are lining up to support him, you know, telling us we have to vote for him and, you know, praying for him. For people who are not from Alabama, Roy Moore, I mean, I made national news, but, you know, he was the judge down here who was running for a Senate seat, Republican, good Christian man, as they say down here. The known, I mean, technically there's a different term for preying on teenagers, but let's just say pedophile. <laughs> and, um, I, and again, it's known, like he's banned from malls down here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just again, to watch people not only not care about it, but actively support him, actively pray for mm-hmm. him. You know, and where I got really, really discouraged about it was was to be Sunday school teachers and 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 to sit and think, man, none of my teaching, none of my discipleship, none of it for all these years has made any difference. These people are hard headed, hard hearted people, and I know I'm being really judgmental right now, but that's how I felt. It's like the term stiff necked from Scripture took on a whole new meaning. Mm-hmm. And we just had to go. My husband and I, we were just done. Like, there is nothing more we can do here. Um, We have been teaching through the book of Isaiah. I'll never forget it. You know, which is, it contains a lot about social justice, you know? Yeah. And I remember every time, like, we would be talking about helping the poor and injustice and stuff, and people would find a way to twist it towards, oh, yeah, we got to condemn those people in Hollywood. And all their scandals, <laughs> and I was just, I can't, I can't take. Like I was just like, I just can't take this anymore. Like, so, yeah, yeah. 2017, we we left our church and we went, and we joined a church that we knew was really good um, on serving the city of Birmingham, and that still had Orthodox theology, but um, I. And it's still a Southern Baptist church, um, but is um, um, we know that we know the pastor personally, and um, yeah. just where we needed to be, and stepped back sure. from doing any teaching or anything like that, and just just needing to to, to sit and to be, and um, our pastor our pastor likes to to say that. Um, if you're a Christian and you feel perfectly comfortable in any one particular political party, then you probably need to examine why that is. Right. Um, because we should feel homeless. 
politically. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't mean by that that we shouldn't be voting and we shouldn't be active politically. Just that. Or that we shouldn't be registered for one or the other. But that um, there is a homelessness that comes with being a Christian because no one political party is perfectly aligned with the life of a Christian. Yeah. And I'm feeling that pretty hard these days. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, like, like I, I said earlier, you know, I was, um, I was a registered Democrat for a long time, but the 2016 election convinced me that I could not be that anymore either um, yeah. for a, a number of reasons. Um, so yeah, I feel a, a certain weird kinship with my, my former Republican friends that <laughs> have felt kind of politically homeless for the last four years. Um, even if, um, we've come at it from different directions. Let me ask you this. Is it more, do you feel more like you just kind of had to leave the Republican party or do you feel more like the Republican party left you? mostly like I had to leave the political, the Republican party. Uh, mm-hmm. and my husband and I've talked about this at some length. Um, yeah. we feel more as though we had our eyes opened to what the Republican party has always been. Mm-hmm. However, I do believe that the Republican party has become somewhat bastardized in mm-hmm. recent years. Um, mm-hmm. I think some of this is just my age. You know, I'm 37. Um, I think if I was 67, I would probably have a better grasp on what the on what the Republican Party was. You know, 30 years ago, just as people say, you know, the Democrat Party is not what it used to be. You know, um, when JFK was president. Um, obviously, political parties change. Um, but as far as um, what the Republican Party uh, has been in my lifetime. I think that it's, it's, it's just showing its colors. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's always been this and they, they finally found, um, a true emperor. Yeah. I mean, that's my fear (laughs) because I, you know, I'm not a Republican and I probably never will be, but you know, I've had Republican friends who I deeply respect, you know, and who, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with small government conservatism, but, um, you know, I, I, I have long clung to the idea that, um, it's, you know, it's a reasonable position because there are Republicans I like and, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I, um, how little it took for that switch to flip to, you know, whatever authoritarian national populism or whatever, you know, um, is, is very, very dismaying to me. And I, I don't have, don't have sunny hopes for the future. Um, let me put it that way. Um, let me ask you this. What is it? It feels it's it sounds so weird to me um, of going from this place where like, wow, I finally found my home to this place of like, holy crud, I'm living in crazy town. Um, 
I guess I don't know what the question is. Like, what, what is that like? <laughs> like, wh- where are you these days um, li- living in Birmingham? Um, if that, if does, does that make sense? Yeah. It I makes don't know. Sense. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I don't know how many people down here are going to listen to this. Let me think. Um, <laughs> not very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're not very happy in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, now we just feel really, um, I mean, we love our church. Mm-hmm. It's a great church, but we also have to drive about 45 minutes to get there um, yeah. because there's no yeah. church like it nearby. And yeah. we don't want to go to a church that has teaching from the pulpit that says that's going to um, promote um this unholy union of church and state in any way, shape, mm. or form, because that's really all it is, is yeah. church and state. The, yeah, we're, we feel very unsettled. So now we just kind of feel like we're not at home. Um, and the, you know, I work from home, so I don't have, it's like my friends are online. I have one good mm. friend, um, I feel very separated from my family because we're on opposite sides of the political, well, not not on opposite sides, but we might as well be opposite sides of the political spectrum because they don't really understand what it is to be politically homeless. You know, all they can really wrap their brains around is either you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. Um, you know, to be independent is nothing. If you're not voting Republican, then you're voting for the other side, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of makes me an enemy. And, um, I'm just being rebellious. I'm just going through a rebellious stage, you know? (laughs) Um, so we're, well, and, and also it's this kind of perspective of, oh, politics shouldn't divide us. You know, why are you being so, you know, why, why is this such a big deal for you? Because they don't understand that this isn't just a political difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is like fundamental to, you know, this isn't just, Oh, you guys go ahead and vote for Trump and I'll just do whatever, you know, I feel I can do with a clear conscience. Like this is far deeper than just Mm -hmm. mere political differences because a vote for Trump means something. Yeah. 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 And that would be a whole nother hour of discussion. (laughs) (laughs) But it means something, and especially in Birmingham, it means something to our brothers and sisters who are of a different skin color than we are. Yeah, um, absolutely. Amongst many other things. So, yeah. I got a really weird text from my sister-in-law the other day. She was like, my mom thinks you voted for Trump. <laughs> and I was like, well, first up, in the first place, I don't think I care who your mom thinks I voted for, but... On the other hand, like I've done nothing but criticize Trump in I front don't of her. Know how you would get to that conclusion? Yeah, and my my sister in law is like, well, she knows you go to church, so she says you're a Trump voter. Okay, it's <laughs> like what? Whatever, whatever. Yeah, no, I I hear you. Yeah, it's 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 like if if you can support someone like Trump, do you? 
do you follow the same Jesus I do? Like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know where to go from there with someone. Um, but um, let me ask you this. Um, aside from your uh, new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from this experience? Going through the changing of my mind. Yeah. I learned yeah. that. Well, I learned just how much people love power. Hmm. I mean, I always knew it in the abstract, you know, from hmm. history classes and things of that sort. But I learned just how much people love power and will do anything to keep it. Hmm. Um, I learned how much people in this country are hurting, um, particularly people of color. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm still learning. Yeah, I learned that... It's important, it's far more important to sit and listen to other people's mm-hmm. perspectives and just to keep my mouth shut, mm-hmm. especially if it's a topic that I'm not particularly well versed in. We're far too quick mm-hmm. to speak and slow to listen. Sure. Um, so that's that's been a, a habit I've really tried to cultivate over the past four years. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons I really did change my mind, actually. Um mm. And, oh, let me think real quick here. There was one other thing I was going to say, and it has, well, this one will be really sad. I've learned that the death of a friend really can change your life forever. Hmm. Yeah. I have three questions I ask all of my guests, um, quasi-philosophical questions, try to poke at these questions of how do we know truth and how do we know ourselves? Um KB, what is identity? Does everyone have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think? Everybody does have an identity. Um, yeah, when I looked at these earlier, I was like, you know, that's the hardest one. <laughs> well, it's all downhill from here, then. I know, I know. Um, okay, let's see here. Christians always want to say you have to find your identity in Christ. Non-Christians always want to say you have to find your identity in yourself. Mm-hmm. So the answer lies, I think, in combining the two. <laughs> hmm. Well, elaborate on that. What now? Elaborate on that. Um. We, well, and then the first thing I was thinking about actually was like, well, identity is our mind, our body, and our spirit, mm-hmm. um, which is the totality of, of what we are. Um, the, you know, our mind, our, it's obviously our intellect, our body, which is our physical form. And because I'm not a Gnostic, I believe our body is important. Matter is mm-hmm. important. Um you might say it matters. It matters. Uh. <laughs> um, but our spirit and is 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 key as well. Um, and you know, Christians say we're made in the image of God, and um, I've always interpreted that to mean um, that the imago Dei resides in our spirit. Um, hmm. So when we say we find our identity in Christ, it's not so much, you know, what we do, you know, the things that we, you know, our hobbies and our passions, you know, which is sometimes how it's 
translated to high schoolers and youth group and stuff like that, you know, it's important mm. that we do everything with excellence, you know, as unto the Lord, but that's not what it means to find your identity in Christ. Your identity is, is grounded in the Godhead. It's probably a better way to say it because his mm. spirit, you know, he, he breathed life into you. Okay. Mm. And if you are a Christian, you have his spirit, the Holy Spirit within you as well. So mm. I guess that's my rambling answer is mind, body, and spirit. Okay. What is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? Human nature is, well, I'm going to give the Protestant, the Reformed answer. <laughs> Human nature is sinful. Um, fallen. Let's not get into systematic theology about how sin is passed down, though. Um, <laughs> uh, we could have a long, rambling discussion about that. Um, no, but I think it is really important to acknowledge and understand the fallen nature of humankind um, because um, it's one of those foundational things that you, you start with. You know, if you believe that humankind is innately good, then you're going to draw certain conclusions about how people will react and respond in certain scenarios all throughout human history. Um, and mm -hmm. also certain conclusions about whether or not they need to be redeemed. Um, if mm -hmm. you start with the assumption that humankind is fallen, you'll draw different conclusions. That's really, really generic. Of course, it, you need to look at it from scenario to scenario. But it is one of the most important questions um, to answer about the, you know, just about humanity. So. Cool. And finally, what is truth? How do you know truth? How do you, how do you know when you found truth? What do you think? I always answer this one really simply, and maybe some people think it's too simply, but truth is that which is um, consistent with reality. And what's reality? Well, reality <laughs> is what you can see, touch, taste, smell, hear. Reality is that which is all around us. Um, and, you know, be a good Christian girl and say, which is created by God. <laughs> but also allowed to be created by us as sub-creators. Um, so, I mean, truth shouldn't be that difficult. I mean, <laughs> I say in the age of conspiracy theories, shouldn't be I, that I mean, difficult. you and I just did an entire podcast about virtual reality, which exactly. <laughs> seems like it complicates things at least a little bit. Well, that's part of what I wrote my article on. But, you know, yeah. it shouldn't be that difficult for people to discern unless um, they, they get their conceptions of reality mixed up. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure having you on the show, KB. Um, listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear me and KB yell at each other about stupid stuff, um, <laughs> please check out Project Co-Narrative at projectconarrative.com. Um, anything else you'd like to plug, KB, before we sign off here? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, you can go to my website at kbhoyle.com if you want to take a look at my books. Um, and I have a blog over there as well. But no, I think I think we're good. 
Yeah, and I will say one more time, uh, do go over to swoonreads.com and look up the book A Silence in the Deep. You can read it for free. It's a whole cool little system where people read books and vote on the ones they like and the one the theoretically the cream rises to the top and those people end up with uh publishing contracts via Macmillan, which is a large publisher. So yeah, do check it out. I really have been enjoying the book. And I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> In any case, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington, or you can just go to my website, which is LukeTHarrington.com. And I will see you next time. Shall we carry a flag? It is a rival to Christ. That's a quote from Tertullian, the church father, um, who lived from 160 AD to 220 AD. Um, the church fathers were, you know, the earliest known writers to come out of Christianity. Um, and they didn't agree about a lot amongst themselves, but they pretty much were in agreement that Christians belonged to no nation and that patriotism had no place in Christianity. Um, quote from Justin Martyr, one of the first um, Christian writers to describe the mass, the, the divine service. Uh, he says, God called Abraham and commanded him to go out from the country where he was living. With this call, God has roused us all, and now we have left the state. We have renounced all the things the world offers. The gods of the nations are demons. A couple hundred years later, St. John Chrysostom wrote, I am a Christian, and he who answers thus has declared everything at once, his country, his profession, his family. The believer belongs to no city on earth but to the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, now, my Baptist friends, when I try to point them to the church fathers, um, always come back with, well, I read the same Bible they did, and I just happen to disagree with them. And, you know, <laughs> that's fine. Um, except when you talk about the church fathers, in a lot of cases, you're talking about people who were trained by the apostles themselves, or at least within a generation or two of the apostles. So what you're saying is people who learned from the writers of the Bible don't understand the Bible better than you do, which just seems unlikely, is all I'm saying. Um, and ultimately, that's why Christian patriotism is bizarre to me. Like, it's just completely out of step with historic Christianity. And that's not to say I don't like living in the United States. There are many good things about living in this country. But if you think of patriotism for your country as a requirement for being a Christian or even somehow on the same level as being a Christian, then you are mistaken and confused about what Christianity is. 
There is no place in the Christian faith for loyalty to a country, a political party, a leader. Now, if you're a Christian and you love your country, great. Um, But I hope you love your country in the same way you love your family, which is to say that you seek the good of everyone in it and put everyone there before yourself rather than, I don't know, plastering your wife's face all over your church's sanctuary or whatever, right? Like, true love for a group of people, because that's what a country is, it's a group of people, means seeking the good for all of them day by day, not just making a crazy obsequious displays of affection for them. And I'm glad that um, that seems to be the direction that KB and others like her are headed. And I, I hope it's the direction that I'm headed as well. It's certainly easier said than done. But I hope to get there one day. Um, that's it for this week. If you uh, like what I'm doing and want to help the show out, uh, you can do a couple of things for me. You can leave a rating or a review on iTunes. We're sitting at eight ratings right now. It would be great to make it an even 10. Um, so go do that. Um, if you want to support me financially, um, there is a Ko-Fi set up for Changed My Mind. That is ko-fi.com slash changed my mind. Buy me a cup of coffee. That's where the name comes from. Um, you can send me any amount of money in increments of three dollars there um so yeah who doesn't like coffee right um another option is to pre-order my book i have a book coming out in just a few months from harper collins it's called murder bears moonshine and mayhem strange stories from the bible to leave you amused bemused and hopefully informed um, you can go to murderbearsbook.com. There's a whole cool little website that my publisher set up for me there. Um, it's great. Check it out. Obviously, if you enjoyed the conversation between me and KB, I'll say this one more time. We have our own podcast along with a novel. We're co-writing together because we're cool like that over at projectconarrative.com. It's a harrowing tale of pirates, revenge, ghosts, and indigestion. Um, It's pretty cool. Go check it out. That's really all I have to say this week. I want to thank Jonathan Clausen for editing the podcast for me. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Check out their other shows, The Commentarians and Faith and Other Oddities. And I want to thank KB for being on the show. She's very cool. Do go to swoonreads.com and search for A Silence in the Deep. It is a great romantic YA novel you can read for free. I'm really having fun reading it to my daughter right now. And finally, I want to thank you for listening to Changed My Mind. And please don't be afraid to change your mind. Mm -hmm.